Welcome back to the Low Bottom High Rise podcast and this episode of Ask Me Anything with me, Moira Kasaba. And guys, I just kind of got cozy over here to snuggle up for this question because it's a doozy. And here it is. How did you know that you needed to get sober? Or another way to say that, like what was the point that, you know, that decision happened in my life? And I haven't thought this through, so this is gonna be very off the cuff and just my experience. You know, there are so many tens of thousands of millions of people in recovery and everyone is gonna have a completely different answer for this. But I can tell you that I was asked this question actually on a podcast interview not that long ago and I was stumped, right? They were saying, what was the moment? What happened? to like have that that u-turn in your life of radical change and i was thinking and thinking and thinking and i was like you know i've been sober for 23 years and i just think it was a slow i say slow i mean i kind of went off the cliff with addiction in a matter of five six years right i mean that's a pretty rapid decline to like rock bottom But over the course of those five or six years, and really probably the last three, it was just an eroding of my soul, right? It was a chipping away at literally my soul. And there's no other way to put it. Yes, there were a lot of events that happened. I think people that are not alcoholics or addicts want to know, you know, did something happen? And then you made this decision. And and for me, that's not how addiction works, right? I could be put in jail. I could be arrested. I could devastate my family. I could get in a horrible car wreck. And those things didn't change the trajectory of my addiction. In fact, those things kind of fueled it because of the immense guilt and shame and so you just have to like stuff those emotions and numb them out and keep going even harder down that path so i think for a lot of addicts it's not that something bad happens and we decide to get sober you know it's to me like getting to the point where you know the big book of um 12 12 steps says you know you're stuck between a rock and a hard place that you literally cannot fathom a life without alcohol but you cannot fathom going on the same way for another day so you can't it's it's like you're backed into a corner and that's so often why for me um i'm not going to speak for other people but suicide looks like the only way out right you're letting everyone down you are just such a burden to other people and you can't stop you cannot stop right this is a this is a brain problem this isn't a willpower problem it is something that has quite literally possessed you and you are powerless to it i mean we wouldn't be angry with somebody that had cancer the way that we get angry with people that have addiction. And so for me, um, it just kept chipping away. It just kept getting harder and harder and harder to live that way, harder and harder and harder to try to get sober. Like I just couldn't get sober. 
And this is what I shared on the podcast though, because this was something that, that happened towards the end of my, my use that really was a wake up call. But guys, I had had, you know, the arrests, the car accidents, all the things over the years. And those were not wake up calls because I guess I wasn't ready, but I had tried to get sober through um, 12 step rooms. And so I had built some relationships in those rooms with a lot of people that were just angels and trying to help me right and so a lot of times in my you know drunken blackouts i would call these people and be like you know sob story me like i can't get sober i drank again and, da, 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 da. and i called my friend lori and i will never forget this because she said moira i can't talk to you right now and she was always there to talk to me she said my brother just committed suicide i gotta go and I remember that moment of clarity, right? Because those weeks and months were complete blackouts. Like there are phases of my life I don't remember. And I remember hanging up the phone and just having that moment of clarity and thinking, what am I doing? Like I am self-inflicting this slow suicide on myself. And it's just got to end. It's got to end one way or the other, right? And in that moment of clarity, I called my parents from 3,000 miles away and I thought I was pulling the wool over their eyes and maybe I was at that point, but I told them in that moment how bad off I was and how I was using every day and how I couldn't stop and, you know, I needed help. And I remember waking up the next day and being like, oh crap, oh crap, the cat's out of the bag. Like I told them everything and the gig is up, right? And so um, at that moment they were like, we are here, let's get you into a rehab. And the crazy thing is, I thought that I was so above that. Like I was like, uh, I don't need to go to rehab like that is a whole nother level of addict, which guys, I was late stage alcoholism at 21 years old. Like couldn't, couldn't, you know, still my hands without a drink every single day. Like I woke up at eight o'clock, I drank at 8.01. Like there was no sober time moments in my life, but my disease thought I was like, that was crazy. You know, the disease is cunning, baffling and powerful. And what I told my parents in that moment was, listen, give me one shot. Give me one shot at this. And if I can't do it on my own, I will go to rehab. And so I made one last ditch effort into 12 step rooms. And I think I got like 30 days together. Um, not even that, maybe 20, 15, which was miraculous, like miraculous. Like there had not been a sober day in my life in years. And um, I was just so sick, right? I was so sick. I relapsed one more time. That's just a whole saga, suicidal, the whole thing. Um, and then really, I think it was that moment of surrender. You know, um, that last relapse, my soul was shattered. Like somewhat, if not almost catatonic, just kind of sitting drinking, but not knowing how to stop, like not 
I didn't have it in me to pray. I didn't have it in me to call someone. I didn't have it. I didn't have anything left, nothing left. And what happened was a friend of mine from the rooms knocked on my door and he was um, a kid, you know, Southern California, a skater on the boardwalk. Um, his name was Devin. And Devin showed up on my doorstep. Devin was four months sober from a heroin addiction and just the biggest heart in the world. And he showed up on my doorstep and he's like, what, what is happening? Like, what, you need help? You need to go to a meeting? And I said, I can't. And he said, you need to pray. And I said, I can't. And this is what I'm talking about, like almost catatonic, just like unable, incapable of thought, incapable of prayer, incapable of action. And he said, well, if you can't, then I'm going to pray for you. And he must have asked me or gotten me up from the couch and we knelt on our knees and he held my hand and he prayed over me. And I feel like it was that moment that there was just a crack open in my soul to God. And he got me to a meeting. And guys, this is like the umpteenth attempt at sobriety. And I think that was the moment of surrender for me that I thought I can't do this on my own. I can't, I just need to surrender it all. I need to, you know, go to these meetings, be with these people morning, noon, and night, not be left alone, um, sleep, work, meetings, hanging out with people in recovery, every moment of every day for that whole entire first year or two. And I allowed them to do the thinking for me, right? I followed direction and I think that's surrender. And one time I heard that, you know, if you look at soldiers in war, the moment of surrender, when, you know, some one side puts their flag up, the opposing side lays down their weapons, and I laid down my weapons, you know, I laid down my weapons and I surrendered to what the program was, you know, suggesting I do. I followed everything that was suggested and I just gave up the fight. I gave up my will and I started to live into God's will. And truly, I think the voice of God for me at that time was other people. Um, I didn't feel like I had a relationship with God at that time. And so how did I know that I was ready to get sober? That's a very long-winded answer. But I do want to touch on this because you do not need to be as rock bottom as I was, right? You don't need to ride the elevator all the way down, as we say in the rooms. You can get off on any floor. And I needed to recognize, because I really thought, as crazy as it sounds, that I wasn't an alcoholic, that non-alcoholics don't obsess whether they're an alcoholic or not. <laughs> you know, I remember my first sponsor when I was kind of saying like, yeah, but I don't know if I'm actually an alcoholic because I had, you know, all the reasons. And she said, you know how every once in a while you might want a glass of milk? Like every once in a while you're having dessert or cookies and you're like, 
oh, you can just taste it. I want a glass of milk or you want a soda or something. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, that's generally how normal people think of alcohol. And I was like, no. Like everything in my life involved alcohol. I thought about it 24 seven. I thought about it every day. Normal people don't think about alcohol every single day. Normal people don't ponder whether they're an alcoholic, right? And, and so it was a journey. It was a journey of getting to the point where till I believe to my innermost core that I'm an addict through and through and my disease just couldn't see it at the time. I mean, hello, I do everything addictively. Everything in my life always have, like looking back with a clear mind, with a sober mind, I'm like, holy crap, the disease is really powerful, you know? And they say in meetings, like my disease is out there in my driveway right now doing push-ups, wanting to take me down. That I have to always remember where I came from. I have to always remember it. And I see it as such a gift, right? I always say, how is this a gift? When I have drinking dreams, 23 years into sobriety, I have drinking dreams. When I, you know, pop open a LaCroix and finish the whole can before I take a breath, I'm like, thank you, God. I'm reminding me I'm an alcoholic. There are things in my everyday life that I could see as like, crazy, but I see it as a gift. I am so sure of the fact that I am an addict and that's how I was born. And this is a whole nother topic for another episode. I also believe that it's not necessarily addict or alcoholic that I was born with. I was born with some different genetic composition that predisposes you to that if that's the path you go down, which is our society, unfortunately. But listen here, listen to this sentence. The same thing that made me an alcoholic and an addict helped me build a multi-million dollar business. So I can use that and channel it. I could probably become, go come, become like an Iron Man, you know, person. Like there, there's something in my brain that takes everything to the nth degree, to the next level, and I can use that for good or I can use that to destroy my life. And so today I see it as a blessing. I see it as like the greatest gift. I see my sobriety as my greatest gift. I, I see the demise of myself 23 years ago as my greatest gift because it has built me into who I am today and I would never be where I am, who I am without it. So there's your long-winded answer to how did I know I had to get sober? Thank you guys for joining us on this episode of the Low Bottom High Rise podcast. Ask me anything. Guys, please, please, please share these episodes. Um, tag me on your social. Uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That stuff is so helpful. And keep your questions coming.